you got your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to spend our morning. Shall I hear about the man that won $3 million on the lottery and decided to donate a quarter of it to the church? Now he has $2,999,999.75. Woo, that was bad. Want me to try again? Did you get that? He donated a quarter of it. One quarter, 25 cents to the church. Wow. You guys are going to have to prepare yourself. I use jokes in giving month, okay? To try. <laughs> I know what happened. We don't want the lottery money in the church. That's what happened. As soon as you all heard lottery, you turned me right off, didn't you? Well, I apologize. I'll, I'll sanctify my jokes a little bit better from now on. <laughs> Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about money? Oh my goodness, it has more to say about money than most other topics that we find in the Scripture. Jesus uh, spent a lot of parables talking about money. But we don't spend a lot of time preaching and teaching on money. Giving month is simply this. It's simply applying your faith to your finances. It's simply applying your faith to your finances. And one of the great passages on the spirit of giving and on excelling in giving, as the title of the message is this morning, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of the things that Paul did during his third missionary journey was he collected a special relief offering for the poor believers in Judea. If you go to Acts chapter 11, you don't have to turn there now, and we'll get there eventually uh, in our study in the book of Acts, but you'll discover that uh, the Holy Spirit signified there would be a famine throughout the whole land, and in light of that reality, what the Christians, the Gentile Christians decided to do was to send relief money to the Jewish Christians, because many Jews were already suffering persecution and were impoverished because they claimed Christ. And so Acts 11 tells us that Barnabas and Saul were the ones who received and delivered that relief money. So here in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses the example of the impoverished believers in Macedonia to stir up the church in Corinth to act in their giving. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll focus in on a couple verses. It says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or we remind you, cause you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, 
See that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Do you get what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth? He's telling them about the Macedonian Christians, how they gave far more than they anticipated they would give, that they literally uh, almost forced their gift upon the apostles because the apostles knew you guys can't afford to be this generous. You're already impoverished. They didn't give out of their uh, abundance. They gave out of their poverty. And Paul is using their example to stir up the church in Corinth. Apparently, the church in Corinth was in favor of giving uh, and had even pledged to do so in the past, but they hadn't quite followed through on that promise. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul directs them to excel in their giving, to pursue greater heights in that area of their Christian life. Just as they pursued knowledge and spiritual gifts and love, Paul challenges them, you need to pursue giving also. The Corinthian church was a rich church. It was a gifted church. It was a growing church, but it wasn't a giving church. And because of that, they were lacking in an area of the grace of God, namely the grace of giving. Paul says, you need to excel in this grace also. And he's talking about giving. So this morning, as we desire for God to stir up our hearts in this area as well, let us consider verses 7 and 9, a 7 through 9 rather, a personal challenge where it says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You could be this morning a Christian that excels in every area spiritually. You might have a rich devotional life. You might attend every church service and every function faithfully. You might be separate from the world and you might be living a sanctified life. You may be a prayer warrior. You might be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher and all those things are wonderful and good. But for the next little while, let the Spirit answer this question in your heart. Even if you're abounding in every area spiritually, are you abounding in this grace also? Are you abounding or excelling in your regular act of giving? So notice, first of all, this morning, excelling in giving. Excelling in giving. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Excelling in giving. Paul mentions the abounding Christian. The abounding Christian, that word abound means to be outstanding in something, to be prominent in an area, to be excelling in an area. And he lists several areas in which this church excelled already. He says, you, you excel in faith. They had great faith. 
They excelled in utterance. They had a lot, of, a lot to say. They had a lot of good speakers in their church. They had the right message. Maybe they fulfilled the exhortation in Colossians 4, 6, where it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. They had utterance. They excelled in that area. They excelled in knowledge, in their comprehension of spiritual things. They grasped spiritual concepts well. They excelled in diligence. That word diligence is an extraordinary commitment to your responsibilities, whether it's religious or other responsibilities. They were earnest. They were willing. They had zeal. And Paul even says they excelled in their love to the apostles. They held Paul and Barnabas in high esteem. They honored them. They had warm regard and affection for them. They were gifted in so many areas. It was a gifted church. They excelled in many ways. Paul doesn't just give a short list. This is a, a pretty uh, complimentary list that he puts here. Yet they were lacking in a key area, and that area was Christian generosity and giving. It reminds me in the passage of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which, if you've ever been to a wedding, you know is about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. And in that passage, Paul lists a number of traits and gifts that we might consider spiritual markers and reveals how missing the grace of love spoils all of those things. Just as a reminder, 1 Corinthians 13 says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And so what's interesting about 2 Corinthians 8 is the script is flipped. Now Paul says they have love, but the giving, the generosity, is absent. What I love about this passage is it reveals to us just how faulty self-evaluation is. We like to make lists for ourselves. Are you a list maker? We love to make lists, right? We are faithful. We are diligent. Uh, I respect the pastor. I respect the church leadership. I, I have a good understanding of spiritual things. I even talk about spiritual things to others. I'm a consistent witness. Uh, all of these things together, and I should be a better than average Christian. I should be on the top of the Lord's list. The problem is, Christianity is not a list. It's a way of life. And a Christian isn't just pious. He's a picture of Christ. Think about it, a picture. Okay, now I'm going to date myself. This used to be a good illustration, Pastor. A picture, a real one that has to be developed. I lost half of the congregation, but if you got a picture back and it's undeveloped in any area, any area of the picture is undeveloped. We don't say, well, it's better than most pictures. It came out all right. Uh, you know, at least it's not out of focus over here. It, the picture really matters most over here. If we got it back, we'd say, that's a bad picture. That's underdeveloped. That's not a good picture. And the Christian is supposed to be a picture of Christ. And if we're underdeveloped in any area, 
were a poor picture. James 2.10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended one point, he is guilty of all. We understood that verse pretty well when we got saved, but many times after salvation, we act if things work differently now. We make a religion out of our life. Jesus challenged his disciples. He said in verse 20 of Matthew 5, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a high bar. If we're going to live legalistically and we're going to make lists for ourselves and try to live piously and compare ourselves among ourselves, as pastor preached last week, that's not a bar that we can reach on our own. It's good to abound in all of those areas. It's good to show signs and characteristics and milestones in your spiritual growth. But what you have to make sure you do is refuse to allow yourself to get to a point where you are content with the victories you've won so far. And you forget that there are new victories to be won every morning. The, the psalmist said this, Psalm 139, 23, Search my heart, or search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Paul said, church, you're abounding. You're abounding in many areas. You're doing well. You're excelling. But there's one area that you're not, and that's giving. That's generosity. And he challenges them to be the advancing Christian the advancing Christian. He says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, the end of the verse says, see that ye abound in this grace also. The concept is, the idea is, you need to be growing and progressing more and more and more in this aspect also. He uses a similar uh, phrase, similar words in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians one, uh, 4 verse 1, he says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. In verse 10, he says, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What is the message of Scripture? The message is that we are to be advancing in our walk with the Lord. We are to be growing. We are to be transforming. As Paul told the Thessalonians, increase more and more. We're supposed to be advancing Christians. And so it's biblical and it's right for me to stand here and press you to consider whether or not you're advancing in, your, in the area of giving. It's biblical to do that. Because even if we've been faithful up to this point as givers, the Bible says, are you growing and advancing more and more in grace? One man said, whether a disciple of Christ shall make a practice of giving or not is no more an open question than whether he shall pray or not. The rule of holy living is never selfishness, but always self-forgetfulness. This was the mind that was in Christ Jesus, and this must be the disposition of those that follow him. Paul's spirit. When you read what Paul writes about himself, what impression do you get? He didn't have a very high opinion of himself. Not that I have already attained. 
or I'm already perfect, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was advancing more and more. The book of Hebrews tells us that we should lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we run the race more and more. 2 Peter chapter 1 says in verses 5 through 8, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians never retire. They never plateau. Christianity is about being constantly and continually transformed into the image of Christ. To be ever advancing towards the likeness of your Savior. A group of tourists were visiting a picturesque little village. They walked by an old man sitting by the fence and said, Excuse me, sir, were any great men born in this village? And the man said, No, only babies. Every single one of us starts life as a baby in Christ. And whether the new convert is six or 60, he's still a new Christian and needs to grow in the Lord. But a baby Christian who's been saved for 40 years is a tragedy. Because God intends for us to grow and mature and to abound in grace daily. Daily. If you're not growing you're dying. The advancing Christian, the abounding Christian, and notice also the assisted Christian. One preacher said, grace is a disposition of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, see that you abound in this grace also. Disposition is the uh, idea of the quality of mind and character. Grace is a, the characteristics of, a whole, of the Holy Spirit. It's what he produces in us. Romans 8, 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As was read this morning in Romans 8, 1 through 6, Therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This is a grace, Paul says that we should abound in also. The grace of God is not something that you can produce on your own in your life. It is not something that you can checklist your way into or act or dress up or talk a certain way to obtain. The only way of getting God's grace is by pursuing His faith. It's a natural product of a personal relationship with the Lord. 
Are you abiding in him? Is he living through you? Is he that fountain within you that's continually springing up and out of your life? Is he the driving force behind all that you do? If he is, then is your faith applying to your finances? Because any of us can check off a list, but only those with a heart for God can live a life of grace. And Paul says that generosity and giving is a grace of God. Giving is not something you can do and just check off your list to satisfy your own conscience. You don't throw money into the offering box and say, there, now God's happy with me. That's not how it works. It's an act of God's grace in your life. It's done through God's power. It's done in accordance with God's provision and in faith. We can be continually excelling in giving if we're willing to be growing in grace. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be both now, glory both now and forever. Amen. So what about the grace of giving? Excelling in giving, notice the evidence that's in giving. The evidence in giving. He says to the church in Corinth, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He gives them an example of passionate love. The word forwardness means an earnest commitment to, uh, to discharge their obligation or relationship or experience with eagerness, diligence, willingness, and zeal. The Macedonian church was passionate in their love, and that was evidenced by their giving because they gave way beyond their expectations way beyond their expectations. They gave beyond their limitations, and they gave beyond imagination. Their giving proved their love. Their love for Christ, their love for the church. And what did God do with their giving? Their giving became an example to the church at large throughout the ages. I don't speak by commandment. I speak by the example of these believers who forced a generous gift on us. Their passionate love. And then notice the proven love. I speak by their example, but also to prove your own love. What does your giving say about your love for Christ and the love that you have for the church that God has placed you in? What does your giving say about your love for Christ and your love for the church that God has placed you in? Christ loved the church so much, as it says here, that he gave himself for it. He placed a high price on the church. So why is it that we are so hesitant sometimes to give to the same cause that Christ gave everything for. Warren Wearsby said that Jesus Christ is always the preeminent example for the believer to follow, whether in service, suffering, or sacrifice. Like Jesus Christ, the Macedonian Christians gave themselves to God and to others. If we give ourselves to God, we will have little problem giving our substance to God. If we give ourselves to God, we will also give of ourselves to others. It is impossible to love God and ignore the needs of your neighbor. 
Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Should we not give ourselves to him? He died so that we might not live for ourselves, but for him and for others. As 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Missionary Amy Carmichael put it this way, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And your love is proven by your giving. And notice it's a persuaded love. Paul isn't writing to them out of commandment. He, he's trying to reach them at their conscience. He's not saying, here's another thing to add to your checklist. He's trying to reach them at their conscience. Why? Because he wanted them to willingly and happily participate in grace giving. As we'll look at this afternoon briefly, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Paul was persuaded this really is Something you can be excited about doing. And then notice the example of giving is Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, the example of giving, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The example of giving in Jesus Christ it's the results of grace. Think about what Christ did for us. Encapsulated in that verse in, in chapter 8, verse 9, is Romans 6.23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserved, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's giving abounds. God's giving abounds. We deserve death and hell, and God gave us eternal life. And Jesus gave everything so that we could have that. The results of grace, the requirements of grace. Look what the Bible says about what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God's grace to us required Christ to be perfectly obedient to the will of the Father, to be made a man, to be made a servant of men, to give his life for all men in obedience. And notice the reasons for God's grace. The reasons for God's grace are found in Ephesians chapter 2. I love the book of Ephesians. I love Ephesians chapter 2 in particular. But it says in verses 4 through 9, But God... If we had time, I'd go back and read verses 1 through 3 because that, that conjunction there is a big contrast. But God, 
who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is great in mercy full of grace. And in his love for us, he poured out that mercy and grace on us in his son, Jesus Christ. And now we are recipients of that grace. Recipients of grace. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this was manifested or proven, shown, demonstrated the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You cannot grow in the grace of giving if you're not a recipient of God's grace. God gave his only son. Jesus Christ himself became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Folks, the reason I don't stand up here and preach 10% tithing is because the standard is way higher than 10%. The standard is Christ who became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Someone said, all too often, we regard stewardship simply as a matter of our giving to God, but this aspect is secondary. Because before we can give, we must possess. And before we possess, we must receive. Therefore, stewardship is, in the first place, receiving God's good and bounteous gifts. And once received, those gifts are not to be used solely for our own good. They must also be used for the benefit of others and ultimately for the glory of God, the giver. The steward needs an open hand to receive from God and then an active hand to give to God and to others. Are you abounding in the grace of giving? Are you excelling and advancing in your regular act of giving? Or is it an area in which God is leading you to grow? Because our giving, our giving is a personal thing. We don't put it up on the screen, right? But boy, wouldn't that be fun? I heard of a church once over in the Oriental countries, I can't remember which one, whether it was the Philippines or China. But a woman came to the church and said, will you pray for my pig? My pig is sick. And the church said, no, you haven't been giving. We won't pray for your pig. Oh boy, that wouldn't go over well here. We don't broadcast it. It's a personal thing. It's something only you and the Lord know about. But the fact of the matter is, according to this passage, your giving 
proves your love for Christ and your love for the church that he's placed you in. And what does your giving say about those things? Because giving is an act of love. Can you prove your love through your giving? A man stood up once and asked me, Pastor, are you telling me to be a faithful member of the church? I have to give? Yes. Yes. And I'm not telling you. The Bible tells us that. Because our giving proves our love. And the ultimate example of giving is Jesus Christ, God's Son. He gave everything for us. Jesus Christ did not give 10%. He gave everything for us that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. So what is he calling you to give? Because he's worthy of every single sacrifice. And not only that, but he'll give you the grace that that sacrifice requires. Giving is a grace that you can excel in as a Christian. Are you excelling in your giving? Let's bow our heads this morning and just give this to the Lord. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you this morning in this area. Only you really know whether or not you're abounding in this grace also. So we want to give you an opportunity as the piano plays to take some time and do business with him.